0: In the book of Romans, I invite you to turn your attention with me again this morning to Romans chapter 2, where we'll pick up where we left off at the sixth verse. As you're turning, I will uh, tell you, confess to you plainly before we even get started, that uh, the text that we're about to read is one that um, would, I, frankly, would have rather skipped uh, and just bypassed. It's a passage that makes me fearful because it requires me to preach to you a doctrine that you may not be particularly happy to hear. It is, in other words, the fear of man that would cause me or any other Reformed minister to wish that this passage and many others just like it simply were not in the Bible. But it is. And this is the advantage of consecutive preaching through God's Word, book after book and verse after verse. I'm forced to declare to you the whole counsel of God the way He would have me declare it and in the proportion that He would have His will and His counsel declared. I think you'll understand what I'm saying after I've read the passage to you. After first we pray. Our Father in Heaven, we ask that you will bless your word, and the same Spirit who inspired this word will now illuminate to us and to our hearts, and that our lives, our Father, may also rise to the standard of your scripture. By your grace we pray and plead these things, and for your glory, for the good of your children, speak, O oh God, we pray for your servants are listening. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans chapter 2, we begin at verse 6. He, and Paul here is speaking about God, He will render to each one according to His works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, He will give eternal life. For all who sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Paul. Oh, Paul. What have you done? You were preaching so well. You were declaring the gospel you championed and have championed for for years with such precision and power. Justification by faith apart from the law. And now this. Doers of the law will be justified, you say? And God will render to each one according to His works? Is your mind deteriorating in your old age, Paul? Do you not see how you've just contradicted yourself? You know of what I speak, dear flock, do you not? We are, most of us individually, and certainly as a church corporately, I say we are children of the Reformation, the age marked by a great return to the pure gospel that took place back in the days of Huss and Luther and Calvin. We love the solas, the great doctrines of the Reformation. Sola gratia, sola fide, solus Christus, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone we are saved. They are our mantra, our battle cry. We are reformed. Christians, by which we mean that, among other things, we hold to the gospel of justification by the grace of God alone, not by works. Hallelujah. We love and treasure the gospel, and we are self consciously aware and sensitive to anything that threatens to contradict our understanding of the gospel. And along comes someone within the camp, our own Paul, no less, with a doctrine that on the face of it, let us admit it, seems to contradict the doctrine of justification by faith, the gospel, the doctrine of judgment according to works. The doctrine that says that at the final judgment, God will judge us all, good and evil, according to our works. What we have done. Truth be told, we wish... Paul had not said this the way he did. And were we standing over his shoulder when he did, we would have cringed and maybe asked Paul to put it just a little differently. This doesn't fit neatly into our theological model, Paul. We can't hardly be going about telling people that that we're not justified by our works and then have you turn right around and saying precisely that the final judgment will be a time when God renders to people according to our works. But Paul does say it. And he says it over and over and over again. Not only here in this passage, but later in this same letter to the Romans, Paul writes in chapter 14 that each of us will give an account of himself to God. In Ephesians 6 verse 8, the apostle unequivocally commends a life of love and duty to both masters and servants because he says, whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. Philippians 4 17, Paul urges faithful and generous living upon his readers because he says, I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. To the Corinthians, Paul writes that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one of us may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Then we read in Revelation 14, 13 that our deeds will follow us to heaven. And in 20 verse 12 that the dead are judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Of course all of these passages ring perfectly true with our own Lord Jesus who said that an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come out those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Or, again, our Lord says, by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Or, again, in Matthew 16, for the Son of Man is going to come with His angels in the glory of the Father, and then He will repay each person according to what He has done. And we could multiply the passages virtually by the dozens that teach in one way or another that without holiness... No one will see the Lord. Perhaps none is so striking in this regard, though, than our Lord's plain speaking about the coming of the day of judgment when he describes it as nothing more nor less than a judgment according to what we have done or failed to do. Listen closely now to these words because you will all be witnessing this scene and hearing these words again one day sooner than any of us can begin to imagine. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, Jesus says, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. And before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another, as the shepherd separates sheep from goats. And He will place the sheep on His right, but the goats on His left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from before the foundation of the world. I mean, from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was, uh, I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Depart from me, you cursed, into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, saying, Lord, Lord, uh, When did we see you hungry? When did we see you thirsty? When did we see you a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and and, and, and not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, Truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment but the righteous to eternal life. A judgment according to works lies face up on the pages of the Scripture and is simply undeniable whether you or I like that doctrine or not we will all be judged by God according to what we have done or not done Paul says it here he will render to each one according to his works to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality he will give eternal life but for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, for those there will be wrath and fury. What shall we do? What shall we do with, with this passage? Several options have been tried over the years, even by evangelical Christians. One of those options has been to say that Paul was only speaking hypothetically. Paul was only speaking hypothetically. It's thought by some that when Paul says that to those who persevere in well-doing, he gives eternal life, what he really means to say is that no one can possibly persevere in well-doing. So, therefore, no one really is even described by this passage. It's only hypothetically the case that by well-doing... In accordance with their well-doing they could receive eternal life because there are in fact no well-doers it rings in the ears like the statement ascribed to the old Irishman who reportedly said I believe in hell because the church teaches it but by the mercy of God nobody's there The late John Murray of Westminster Seminary argues, I think effectively, for several reasons that Paul is not speaking in hypotheticals here. Not least because if we interpret Paul that way here in Romans 2, then we have to interpret all such passages in the same way, which is simply impossible. Paul is not speaking hypothetically. He is speaking about real people real good works, and real eternal life. A second option that's been tried is to act as though this passage doesn't exist. Just ignore it. Now, the problems with this are, of course, manifold. For one thing, we may not ignore any part of God's Word except to our own peril. And what is more, you can hardly pick up the Bible and start reading almost anywhere but that you run into this doctrine at every hand. A third option is to say that, that what Paul is describing is not salvation. Paul's really just talking about, about rewards in heaven and penalties in hell. But there is simply no mistaking in this passage, nor in scores like it, what is being spoken of. Verse 7, eternal life fourth option is to say that Paul has simply contradicted himself. Theological liberals, they love, absolutely love passages just like this one. They drool over them because they love to find what seems to be, to them, contradictions in the Bible, places where it contradicts itself. They love to point out, for instance, that Paul teaches that we are justified by faith apart from works And James turns right around and says, as plainly as can be, that I tell you we are not justified by faith alone, but by our works. Well, liberals notwithstanding, there is no contradiction, brothers and sisters, between Paul and James. There's no internal contradiction in Paul between the doctrines of justification by faith alone and the judgment according to works. Both are true. Both are true. Gloriously, wonderfully true. And we must, whether we can reconcile these two doctrines perfectly in our minds or not, we simply must believe both. The great Spurgeon said of another set of doctrines that seemed on the surface of them to be at odds with each other. Divine sovereignty, 100%. Human responsibility, 100%. Spurgeon said, where these two truths meet, I do not know. Nor do I want to know. They do not puzzle me. Since I have given my mind to believing them both and that is precisely the answer for you and for me when it comes to these two scriptural doctrines justification by faith and judgment according to works we must give ourselves dear congregation to believing them both and leaving the fitting together of these doctrines perfectly together to the mind of God. And in fact, that is precisely what we've done. If I may speak to you, we have many visitors here, and let me say we make no point of considering ourselves superior to any denomination or other Christians of other stripes. I'm going to speak in-house now and say that in our own denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America, we have done exactly this. In one place, in many places, in our confession of faith, we uphold the doctrine of justification. By faith alone, no holds barred. And in another place in our confession, in the chapter on the last judgment, we agree that, quote, all persons that have lived upon the earth shall appear before the tribunal of Christ to give account of their thoughts, words, and deeds, and, we say, to receive according to what they have done in the body, whether good or evil. We can hold to both. We do hold to both. We must hold to both justification by faith alone and the judgment according to our works. Now, there are two things that must be said about these two doctrines and how they relate to one another in our lives. Brothers and sisters, they are these. First, there is no contradiction between these two truths that we are justified by faith alone and yet judged according to our works. Judgment according to works in no wise sets Paul's doctrine of free and perfect justification by the righteousness of Jesus Christ received by faith alone. No genuinely born-again Christian will find himself on the day of judgment suddenly condemned after all. This same Paul teaches that a believer is justified from everything. And there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the rest of the Bible confirms this. As John says in his fifth chapter, those who believe in Jesus will not come into judgment By which he means they will not be condemned. This is the exact burden of the gospel. We sinners can in Christ be made righteous before God and certain of standing in His judgment. And to put it more positively, for Paul, as for Jesus and for all of Scripture, true faith always works through love. True faith has always been described this way. It is a living faith. It produces things in life, good and holy things, obedience, love, service. The works of a believer's life are the demonstration and the proof of the reality of the faith. Faith becomes known as true faith by what it produces in a life. If the basis of our acquittal before the judgment of God is the perfect righteousness of Christ received by faith, and it is, the proof of the reality of our faith is the works in our lives. For those works come from Christ. And our good works rise out of faith. It is the unity of divine grace, of faith, of good works that lies behind the idea that we shall be judged by our works on the day of judgment. No real Christian is going to come to that Judgment Day with no works proving his or her faith. For those works are surely the result of God's grace just as surely as is the faith that we have by which we are united to Christ's righteousness. So, you see, there is no contradiction between justification by faith and judgment according to works. That's the first point. But the second is every bit as important. Brothers and sisters, we must never let those two doctrines contradict each other in our minds or in our lives. What I mean by that is this. Sometimes we come to a hard doctrine we're reading along in our scripture, we don't particularly like this doctrine, and so what do we do? We think of another doctrine we like better and use it to cancel out the first one, to modify the first one, to make the first one into something we like a little better. Arminians have done this for centuries, effectively canceling out the sovereignty of God with what? The responsibility of men. Hyper-Calvinists have obliterated man's responsibility in favor of what? God's sovereignty. We're always doing this. We're always doing this, taking one part of the Bible and using it to deny another. And in as much as we do this, in as much as preachers avoid texts, and they do. Like this one before us this morning, because they'd much rather preach justification by faith than judgment according to works. I say, inasmuch as we and they do that, we are not holding to the whole counsel of God's Word. We are preferring for ourselves some doctrines and not others nor may we seek to modify one doctrine with another, to sort of blunt its sharp edge, to soften the blow of one biblical teaching with another one. We must feel the impact of both. We must hear, when we hear, that we are justified by faith alone, apart from works. That truth must fill and thrill us for it is 100% true. And when we hear in the Bible that we will receive eternal life or everlasting punishment in accordance with how we have lived, that truth must have its full and unvarnished effect on us too. When Paul says that it is not the hearers of the law but the doers of it who are justified. As we read this morning, as the late Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse preached to his congregation at the historic 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, quote, you are not allowed to bring a verse or two on justification to contradict the great demand for holiness that runs like a golden thread through the whole of the Bible. It should go without saying, he says, that I believe and teach that the red strand of the blood runs through all of the Scripture, proving the only basis of acceptance, of our acceptance in the beloved Savior and of our being accounted righteous in Him. We know too and have always taught that the only way whereby righteousness may be imputed to our account is faith. Apart from human works. But we will not, because we cannot, in faithfulness to the Scriptures, allow the red strand, precious and essential as it is, to cause us to lose sight of the golden strand concerning practical holiness. There are many men in the Bible who, though sons of Adam and partakers of his fallen nature, were yet looked upon as being masters of practical holiness. Enoch walked with God. David became a man after God's own heart. Job was looked upon as a man who was perfect and upright, and one that feared the Lord and eschewed evil. Zechariah and Elizabeth, the parents of John the Baptist, were both righteous before God, walking in the commandments and the ordinance of the Lord blameless. Paul, the author of our text today, was able within the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to say that touching the righteousness which is in the law, he was blameless. None of these people, none of them, were justified by what they were or by what they did the ground of their acceptance was Christ and Christ alone but our text teaches that only such as they are are accepted before God so much for Barnhouse I will put it this way to you dear flock in the hopes of making it perfectly clear None of you will enter heaven because you earned that entrance by your good works. Don't think that for one minute. But none of you should expect for one minute to enter heaven without them. judgment day will tell the tale how did you live and according as how that question is answered whether you gave the Lord a drink when he was thirsty or food when he was hungry or visited when he was sick or to put it in Paul's terms here whether you lived your life in patient well doing seeking for glory and honor and immortality or in self seeking disobedience I say, according to how that question is answered on that day, so will the quality of your faith be known, whether it was a living faith or dead. And so will the rest of eternity be for you. Therefore, Christians, Take to heart the exhortation of another apostle in Scripture and be all the more diligent every day to make your calling and election sure. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.